He told us, you know, bless those uh, who persecute you, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, be a person who's easy to get along with, <laughs> and to fight against conceit, do that by pursuing humility. This morning, now we get into the counsel that is a little more difficult. Paul now addresses how to deal with people who are thorns in our side. Mm. You know, they're, they're the people that irritate us, people that hound us, people that infuriate us. It may be a family member, you know, maybe somebody you work with. Might be a salesperson that comes by and you have to deal with on a regular basis. It could be a teacher. It could be a coach. It might be a neighbor. It might even be someone at church that really irritates you. We're not above that. And odds are you have a name or two that pops into your mind. This is a person you dread seeing come toward you. Because you know they're going to say something that's either rude or offensive or maybe inappropriate. See, Paul's counsel in Romans 12 is, is found in Romans uh, 12, 17 through 21. And this morning, we're just going to look at two verses, verse 17 and 18. And like I said, Lord willing, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll finish this uh, series up next Sunday. But look at that with me, if you will. Romans 12, verse 17 and 18. Two verses, and God's word says this. It says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Loving Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray, Father, that this morning, that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word in our hearts and in our minds. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide. And Father, that, that your word would come through. And Father, that we would check ourselves and examine our own hearts to see where we fall short. Father, so that we can bring glory and honor to you in all of our life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would, would just guide us and that we're just so thankful for what the Lord Jesus did on the cross for each one of us. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. So what Paul is saying here is that retaliation, retaliation is forbidden. We're not supposed to retaliate when someone does evil to us. And, and Paul begins with a very simple principle. He says, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Why didn't he just say like to your friends? Or why didn't he say just to other believers in Christ, but he said to anyone, don't repay evil for evil to anyone. And immediately we realize this is a very tough pill to swallow. I mean, our strong instinct is to strike back at those who strike us. When we hurt, we want to hurt others. When they cause us to hurt, we want to cause them to hurt. And when we are slandered, 
When someone speaks about us in a way that is not becoming, then we want to slander them back. We want to we go right back at them. And if someone criticizes us, we're quick to say, but what about you? See, the simple and profound wisdom of Paul's comments are inescapable. Three things here that we need to remember about retaliation. The first one is that it causes conflict to escalate. You know, several times this weekend, as I was smoking pork for our lunch today, I needed to add a stick of wood to the firebox on my smoker to keep the fire going and to keep the smoke uh, rolling. And and you know, it's interesting because when we retaliate against a wrong that someone has done to us, we add more fuel to the fire of the conflict. And so the conflict gets hotter and it lasts longer because we're adding fuel to it. Think about two drivers on the road. One driver wants to go a little faster than the person who is in front of them. And so at the appropriate place, this driver passes the car in front of him and maybe the passing driver pulled back in just a wee bit too early. Tends to upset the other driver. And that driver hits the gas and roars past the one who just passed him. And the idea is, no, I'm going to be in the lead. I'm going to be in the front. And then they, they, they dare to, uh, to challenge each other. The, the second driver may pull around in front and slow down 10 miles an hour. And then the one in, in, the, in, the, in the back wants to pass again. And before long, these two drivers are playing chicken on the road. They're driving recklessly all because neither one of them would let it go. They are escalating. They're retaliating. These two drivers have become a danger to others. You know, C.S. Lewis, he put it this way. He hit it on the head when he said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. For you country music fans, Garth Brooks, he has a song with these lyrics. We bury the hatchet, but leave the handle sticking out. We're always digging up things we should forget about. Oh, it's true. We do that. We wait for that next opportunity. It's been said that true forgiveness is hard to extend because it demands that we let go of something that we value. The right to pay back. See, retaliation causes the conflict to escalate. Secondly, retaliation is usually excessive. I mean, think about this. We, we never want to simply pay a person back for something they did. <laughs> oh, no. We want to pay them back with interest. Oh, yeah, a little more. You know, hit them a little harder. You know what I'm talking about. Now, in the Old Testament... There's a very familiar law, it's called lex talionis. And it states an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. And this law was established for a very specific purpose. To limit this tendency 
to retaliate in excess. I mean, basically, this law was not designed to say that if you poke someone's eye out, that that they had to poke yours out. That's not what it's saying. What the law was saying was that a person could not go beyond poking your eye out in response or maybe knocking your tooth out. You know, it's an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, not excessive retaliation. But the human tendency is to meet one offense with a greater offense. And so what happens is we we continue to escalate the conflict. Someone injures a person and then they try to kill the other one. I mean, just think about it. I've already kind of referenced it, road rage. People get so upset and so consumed, they won't let it go. And finally, they've escalated to a point where they actually pull a gun out. Really? You haven't even talked to the person. But that's where we are in our society. You say, well, can you tone it down just a bit, Rich? Okay. Let's say someone offends you in some way. So you go on and do something to destroy their reputation. The words of your mouth, that's excessive. Someone offends you, you go and ruin their reputation. That's excessive. Take an example from the Little League baseball field. You know, a coach disagrees with a call and tells the umpire that he feels like maybe the strike zone is inconsistent. The umpire tells the coach to keep quiet or you're going to be thrown out of the game. The coach then questions the parentage of the umpire. And, you know, it just keeps escalating. And and before long, you've got two grown adults that both have to be restrained. All at a kid's baseball game. I mean, retaliation is usually excessive. We don't go to where they offended us. We go beyond where they offended us. Third, I would say this. Retaliation always, always, always ruins our witness for Jesus Christ. See, when we retaliate against a wrong done to us, we, re- we prove that the love of Christ is not in us. When we say, oh yeah, you hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. Well, we show that we are no different from anyone else around us. Listen, you can live your whole lifetime being a good witness for Jesus Christ. And one act of retaliation can wipe all of that out. One act. See, we need to understand that our reputation is more influential than words. I mean, the second piece of counsel that Paul gives here, he says, respect what is right in the sight of all men. And you know, there's a wrong way to interpret that. I mean, some conclude that Paul is telling us that it's our job to make sure everyone's happy. And if this is Paul's counsel, it's a recipe for disaster because you can never please everyone. You can't do it. It's impossible. See, the right interpretation of the passage is that we must lead consistent 
and godly lives in every circumstance. Consistent and godly lives in every circumstance. We're to do the right thing wherever we are. In other words, we are to live consistently. You know, Peter, an older and wise Peter, he wrote this in 1 Peter 2, verse 11 and 12. He says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may because of your good deeds as they observe them glorify God in the day of visitation. See, this world is not our home. Our home is in heaven. And so when we live consistent and godly lives, what we are doing is we are allowing others the opportunity to give God the glory and the praise for what he has done in our lives. But see, when we retaliate, what we're doing is we're up in the ante, we're, we're, we're raising the conflict, and they're like, man, they're just like everybody else. They call themselves a Christian, they call themselves a believer, but I don't see any difference. Folks, that should not be so. See, people want different things at different times, and some people have no idea what it is they want. But the world pays more attention to the way you walk than the gospel tracts that you hand out. Or maybe they pay more attention to what you post on social media. See, they watch what you're doing more than they watch what, what you're posting. And if it doesn't match up, they say it's inconsistent. And they might say something like, what are you doing? What you are doing speaks louder than, I can't even hear what you're saying. Let me break it down for you here. The person who professes a faith in Jesus Christ but gossips about other people has lost all credibility. When they say, oh, we love you. Oh, we love you. The person who talks about holiness but engages in deceptive practices in their business or maybe they mistreat employees or they manipulate the system to their advantage, they're not going to influence anyone for the gospel. The person who preaches morality but is living with their girlfriend or cheating on their wife has destroyed their testimony. The person who says they're committed to Jesus Christ but gives no priority to him in their schedule shows that they do not mean what they say. A person who says they serve Christ but is lazy and loafs while they're at work will find it hard to get anyone to listen to them about Jesus. What about the person who embellishes you know, out of habit, they, they, they embellish the story and they distort the truth. They should not be surprised when no one believes their testimony about God. See, if you're not going to seek to live consistently, it would be better for the kingdom of God if you don't tell people that you're a believer. 
because they're watching what you do. And when you claim, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and then you do the things that we're talking about, it creates doubt. They, I wonder about that. I'm not sure that they are. But if you think back on your life, you know, you probably had someone that influenced you the most who lived a very consistent life in front of you. And if we will live consistently, even though others may not embrace our lifestyle, they will respect us and be a little more open to the message of the gospel. See, I'm sure that as you were growing up, you were impacted by the words of those who lived consistent lives before you. And you could tell that the words that they said, that they actually believed them. It meant something to them, and that's why it impacted you. See, if we boil this all down, we are to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. That last clause in verse 18, if possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. When he says all men, he literally means everyone. Be at peace with everyone. I mean, God wants us to be peacemakers. This command certainly sounds impossible. I mean, how is it possible to be at peace with all people? I mean, it's, it's kind of like making everybody happy. It's just as impossible. But note carefully that Paul, what he's saying here, he's not saying that we can live at peace with everyone So he gives two conditions. First, he says, if possible, if possible, we are to seek peace, if possible. I mean, we can't compromise the truth. We can't compromise God's word simply to get along. We can't desert the, the, the clear teaching of the Bible in order to have unity. We must never compromise the gospel in order to gain peace. But sometimes it's not possible to have peace. So if possible, we are to seek peace. Second, if we are to pursue, we are to pursue peace so far as it depends on you. This is key. Because our job is to accept our responsibility for any conflict and be willing to make it right and and to right any wrong that we have done. As believers in Jesus Christ, the one who gave it all for us, the one who bled out on Calvary so that we could be free, so that we could have everlasting life, so that we could spend eternity in heaven with him. He gave his life for that. Our responsibility is to accept our responsibility for any conflict that we're caused and be willing to make it right. Secondly, I would say we need to go to the person we're having a problem with in a serious attempt to work it out. 
A lot of times what we do is we have a problem with someone and the first thing we do, rather than talking to God about it or rather than talking to the person about it, we tell everybody else. We want somebody to identify with what we've done, what's happened to us. Oh, look how I've been mistreated. Oh, poor me. And we want other people to say, yeah, you're justified in that. You know, the next time somebody starts whimpering around like that and, 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 and doing that, you need to ask them, have you talked to God about it? Have you talked to that person about it? You don't need to be telling me. You need to be talking to them or to him. Because that's where the, the issue lies. And we really got to do that. We got to go to the person and make a serious attempt to work out the problem. We also have to be willing to forgive and let go of the wrong that's been done to us. Oh, sometimes we hang on to it so tight. You know it and I know it. We don't want to let it go. You know what we do? When times are good, we put it in our pocket. And when times are bad, we put it in our heart. And what happens is we want to save that bullet. We want to use that bullet when we need it the most whether it's an argument later on or whatever. And we have to be willing to forgive a wrong that has been done us. With Jesus as our Savior and Lord, with him as our example, he's hanging literally on the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Can we not forgive someone who cuts us off? Can we not forgive someone who is talking out of turn and doesn't know what they're talking about? Can we not forgive a, a spouse, a family member, somebody else, a church member, maybe who wronged us in some way? See, we have to be willing. We have to be willing to overlook the offense. We have to be willing to be wronged if that's what it takes to make peace, we have to be willing to be wronged. See, God has called us to be peacemakers, not prosecutors. Unfortunately, many of us want to exact justice. We want to get our pound of flesh on those who have wronged us. But revenge goes beyond getting even. Revenge is excessive retaliation. I mean, if we have made every effort, I mean, that's the way I read this. If possible, so long, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. If we have made every effort, and it, of course, implies that we must make some effort, then we've fulfilled our responsibility if we've made every effort to make peace. If the other person just refuses to be reconciled, there's nothing more we can do. And we're better to keep our distance and avoid making the conflict worse. In Titus 3, verse 10 and 11, it says this, it says, reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. 
What does that mean? A factious man or a factious woman is unwilling to do what the Word of God requires. In order to resolve a conflict, he or she is involved in and and therefore they deepen the division, the factions, if you will, in the church. So if you are deepening the divisions, you are this factious person. If you're not trying to be that bridge builder, if you're not trying to be that peacemaker, the one who, who brings sides together, but if, 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 if they are continue to deepen and, and say, I'm not going to budge, I'm not going to do this, then you are that factious person. We need to evaluate that. This doesn't mean that we can never be willing to pursue peace in the, fir- in the future. It means we should always be willing to pursue peace, even if, as long as it doesn't compromise the truth. And I say that because sometimes it may take years. It may take years before an opportunity for peace will come. But when it does come, We need to be ready and willing. You know, I have to wonder about some athletic events, how they might be different if we applied these principles. I mean, what if a parent explained to their frustration to the coach rather than screaming at them? What if we no longer had buttons that other people could push? You know what would happen? Everybody would have more fun. It'd be a lot more enjoyable for everybody if we didn't have buttons that other people pushed. I mean, our children would learn to resolve conflict in in positive ways rather than learning the wrong way to handle conflict. Imagine what would happen if Christians became the voice of reason and understanding in heated meetings rather than becoming angry themselves. What if we were more concerned about God's kingdom than getting our way? See, the answer is very simple. The reason Paul writes this and tells us this is because we would transform our society if we didn't fight back. If we were the ones, we would increase our influence. We would gain friends. We would actually function like salt and light in the world. And we would be what Jesus wants us to be. You know, as I, as I wrap this up, I ask the question, are you facing a crisis right now? Is there someone who really irritates you? Are you known to have a, a quick temper? If so, maybe this counsel from Paul is especially relevant. I mean, his advice is simple. Basically, the only thing blowing up and striking out accomplishes is to undermine your Christian witness. 
excuse me. See, Paul wants us to focus on the big picture. Focus on what God is doing. Focus on Him. Every encounter, even those with those people that we find difficult, is an opportunity. See, every encounter will either draw people to the gospel or push them away from the gospel. And I guarantee you, people are watching. They want to see how we respond to the irritations of life. They're watching to see if our faith crosses over into our daily life. They're looking to see if our living is consistent or matches up with what we profess to believe. These are very practical words, but understand they have eternal significance. Some of these little things are very important. I mean, you think about the O-rings. They're like little O-rings on the space shuttle. They seem insignificant, but if they're not taken care of, the destruction is greater than we can even imagine. I'm going to ask our worship team if they would come back up and and, uh, lead us in a couple of more songs here. And as they do, I just want to encourage you, let's evaluate our own life. Let's take just a little bit of time and evaluate. Are you using self-control when you're attacked? Are you living consistently? Are you working hard to maintain good relationships with others? Maybe family members, maybe co-workers, maybe neighbors, maybe friends. See, what I'm suggesting to you today is very difficult. It's not the easy way. It's not the world's way, but it is God's way. And it's a way for God to use you to make an eternal difference in the lives of the people around you. See, this morning I would say that God is looking for willing hearts. Are you willing to be willing to let it go? To not carry the grudge? To not feel offended by someone else? Are you willing to be willing? Are you willing to say yes to Jesus Christ this morning? See, the the bottom line is we need his help. We can't do this on our own. We can't live this out on our own. So I ask again, are you willing to be willing? Would you pray with me? Loving Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that you would check our spirit. Father, that you would help us to...